listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome to episode 96 of Cinemental. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Then why don't you kiss me like everybody else does? How about no? The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. I came here like this so you'll know my word of death is true. And that my word of life is then true. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Movie Podcast. We can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making. My name is Stephen Hovicki, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Hassan Godwin and Latham Conger III. Our guest is an acclaimed, award-winning writer of novels, comic books, short stories, and podcasts. He's the author of Star Wars, Poe Dameron, Free Fall, the Pete Fernandez Mystery Series, and the upcoming Secret Identity. And up until a few days ago, shared the presidency of Archie Comics. However, he was just recently announced as the senior VP of sales and marketing at Oni Lion Forge Publishing. Alex Segura Jr., welcome to Cinemental. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, good to have you here, and, and uh, congratulations on the new gig. Uh, I had to, I had to, I had your bio already written and ready to go, and then I, the news dropped on Monday, and I was like, <laughs> "Well, I got to go change that." So uh... <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I sort of updated it uh, immediately in real time. Like somebody just said, "Oh, you need to update your social media pages," and I kind of panicked. <laughs> <laughs> That's the world we live in today, I guess. I know, right? It's like, what? It still says you work for Archie. You haven't updated everything. <laughs> You're a liar. <laughs> So what? Uh, we'll jump in and uh, we'll suffer from consumption and get it out of the way quick. Gotcha, Alex. Uh, would, hey, yeah. Would Would you like to play along? Uh, anything you've watched, uh, good He's or bad? He's on vacation. He ain't I, been watching. Well, those. I know. Yeah, but no, like uh, in the last in the last recent days, what have I been watching? I rewatched Goodfellas because I read this book called Made Men by this critic Glenn Terry, who kind of goes behind the scenes and talks about the movie and uh, you know the <laughs> all the drama behind the scenes and the casting and all that stuff. Oh, we just got. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I've, I've seen that movie a thousand times, but it was fun to revisit it. And um, we've been watching uh, Schitt's Creek, which is pretty good, mm-hmm. pretty funny. And that's just like comfort viewing, like when the kids are finally passed out and we have a half hour or something. That's it. It's hard to find time. <laughs> uh, Glenn Kenny. Yes, Glenn Kenny, yeah. Yeah, I actually just got uh, his contact info from a mutual friend. Uh, I'm going to reach out and have him on the show. So, oh, he would be great. I mean, yeah. and, uh, he, he spoke to Scorsese and he spoke to De Niro and kind of got, he spoke to the editors on the film and just, uh, he, it paints a good picture of uh, Scorsese's career and how Goodfellas fits in and like what happens after. And I found it really, I read it in like a day. Wow. Cool. Yeah. I, I, that's actually the, it's funny. You said the book name is what jumped out because he actually sent me a link. My buddy sent me a link to the book as a reference uh-huh. for this guy. He's like, oh, he just wrote this book about Goodfellas. And then you're like, there you are talking about the books. Yeah, no, it was good. And uh, yeah, Fantastic. it made me want to watch it because he basically recaps the whole movie, which sounds kind of boring when I say it. But when you're reading it, he gives you oh. some context and detail. Yeah. I was like, I need to watch it again just so this is all fresh <laughs> in my mind. Yeah. Because uh, otherwise uh, it, it just it made the experience that much more rich, I guess. It's like when you get a new DVD and it's got a commentary on it. It's almost like you have to watch the movie once and then turn on the commentary track and watch exactly. it all the way through again to yeah, really yeah. get, you know, so it's all right, nice and fresh in your brain. 
um, for sure. Um, so yeah, I had a uh, I had an exceptionally sh- uh, uh, small week. We watched the the series on Netflix, An Innocent Man, the based on the on the Grisham book. Oh, wow. it's, it's two or three years old, but it's about basically these two cases in Oklahoma, which I have I have now taken to referring to uh, Oklahoma as West Arkansas. Uh, because apparently their police works about as well as Arkansas's. So uh, any listeners there, um, I would suggest you move as quickly as possible. Then we watched, uh, I watched Communion, which I'd never seen before. Oh my God, dude. Are you serious? I'm serious. Dude, that's a, that's a very well done, creepy movie. Uh, it didn't actually if you've read the book. Yeah. And, I've never read the book. Oh, the book was great at the time. It was, I mean, yeah, it was I, groundbreaking as far as that genre of. Uh, I mean, listen, the movie was interesting, and I mean, Christopher Walken's always fun to watch for you know do you know chew up scenery and do what he does. But uh, I mean, yeah, it was okay. It was you know. Fun. It, you didn't think it was great. I didn't think it was great. No. Didn't Philip Noyce direct that, or am I wrong? Uh, it's possible. Yes, I didn't uh, dig that deeply into it. That scene where the, the where the alien peers around the door of the room. Oh God! It's... There's a couple of good scenes, and I well, I'll give you that. But I mean, overall, I just thought that there was, you know, I, I, I thought good as the Exorcist three scene. Nothing's as good as the Exorcist three scene. Oh, ever. plenty is ever. Plenty. No, that, that's, that's the scariest yeah. scene ever shot. Okay. Um. So I rewatched the. I we. I, I just stumbled into the Martian, and so I sat. Wait, are you talking thing. about the stairs? The, in Exorcist the, 3? Oh, in Exorcist 3. Excuse no, me. It, the, the oh, I know exactly. Dog. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. I know exactly what scene you're talking about. Um, Good. <laughs> yeah. Anybody who's seen Exorcist 3 will know that scene. That's, yeah, that's, I know what you're talking about. Absolutely. You could just see Exorcist 3 and the scene, and basically people yes. will zoom right into yep. it. Yeah. You can, that's you can all put they that, should watch when they you watch can, that you can put those. You, you can put those terms into YouTube, and that'll come up there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then I watched uh, after I watched uh, The Martian. We watched Those Who Wish Me Dead, um, which I did Sorry. not. I did not. That's all right. I did not find it as bad as uh, as you did. Clearly, I mean, I'm I like I like I'm a big fan of Taylor Sheridan. I like what he does. I you know I I felt like this was just more Taylor Sheridan work product. You're right. It's not a great movie, but uh, you know it's a nice. It's not. It's not bad. I I don't think it was. I don't think but, it's bad. But it it certainly isn't. It certainly isn't anything you haven't seen like a hundred times before. That's well, all. The thing it's is, not very bad at all. The couple of reviews I saw were annoying too, because like their whole, their whole review was like focused on the fact they're like Angelina Jolie is so thin. She'd never be a firefighter. She'd never be a smoke jumper. And it's like, really, no, this is, I this found is it completely what, believable. This is what you that. pulled out of the movie. I'm like, That's your yeah, one right. Away. I'm like, the, the one thing I, the, the, the one thing that was a little disappointing, it's not really a spoiler at all is that um, they kind of established the, the team of firefighters in the beginning. Yeah. And then you never see them again, you know, because they go into <laughs> the in, they go into the intricacies of the adventure. Of the right? story, so, right. Yeah, so I'm like, well. And, it, you know, it's very rare where movies do a good job establishing characters in the very beginning. And, you know, and just for them to do such a good job and then do nothing with them is kind of was, a, was one of the things so that the, sound like the, God, only, the other thing that people right. pointed out and I thought that this was uh, was a was a really interesting point of discussion and I'm, I'm sorry that that Latham and Alex haven't seen this because this would be a fun one to talk about especially because it involves storytelling in general but there's a the main complaint about the movie was the the sort of the 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 impetus for what happens in the film 
there's part of it that's never really explained. And people were complaining yeah. about the fact that that wasn't like, they're like, how come they never told us that, you know, the, the, the information, how come they didn't tell us why it was. And it's like, cause it doesn't fucking matter. It has literally, it's a MacGuffin. it has yeah. literally no bearing on it's what they're setup. showing you as the movie. And I'm like, I totally get that. And I'm like, I actually kind of like that because it doesn't clutter up your brain with a bunch of unnecessary information. Yeah, like, I didn't mind that part at all. That was yeah. that was that was fine. Yeah, I and and so. many movies have done that. Many, you know, I, like I mean, that, so. very famously, very famously. Uh, I'm sorry, that thing does the, the, the something to my brain. <laughs> like, it sounds like a foghorn at my end. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. It's just some kid on a motorbike going up oh, and down okay, okay. the park, right? But it's just obnoxiously <laughs> loud. They did the same thing in a uh, Pulp Fiction with the, the the case, you know? Yeah, that was more overt. Because right. it was like a thing. They, they did it on purpose. It was like a, right. uh, a thematic a, device. A, yeah, it was a visual thing. Yeah, but I mean, it's the same thing. It's just like, we don't yeah. really need to tell you what that is. Doesn't just, you, all you need to know is everybody wants it. That's all. Or like what's do. in the trunk in Repo Man. Yeah. <laughs> right. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yes. Um, so then I watched uh, our two films for the show. And then I watched. <gasps> I knew a- something I forgot. A reasonably bad uh, horror film last night called uh, Slash Lorette Party. Um, That's which, your fault. Which you well, known from the name. You know, well, you know, <laughs> it boded well from the beginning because it had like 11 people show up at this cabin. So I'm like, all right, so there's going to be a lot of quality death going on. <laughs> Nowhere near enough people died. All right. Let me tell you that. And certainly not enough, certainly not enough before, before like the last like 10 minutes of the movie. This is one of those bad horror movies where nobody gets killed. Well, like, yeah, what am I watching? Yeah. This? <laughs> by the time they all by the time <laughs> they all die, you're just so out of it. You're just like, it's just come on, get to the end. And so then the end they trying to make into this like weird little twist set up for a potential sequel which i thought was really amusing but yeah. uh because if he makes another one of those he's insane um and then i watched <laughs> a, a presumptuous a reasonably a reasonably mediocre uh straight to streaming bruce willis sci-fi movie uh called the called breach today on uh, yeah, i just Amazon. saw um that yeah, I just saw an ad for that. It's got, it's got I, a lot of good side people. It's got Johnny Messner in it, and it's got uh, it's got Bruce obviously, but it's got a bunch of no name people in it. But it's got a few people who you recognize as side players from movies, you know, sci fi and action flicks from days gone by. And then again, it's it's not typical. Uh, what happens? Sounds is, awful. It's 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 pretty mediocre. And uh, and that was it. So. Um, like I said, I've been. It's been a busy week, and I had a lot of stuff to do. Yeah, so, uh, that's that is a that's, that is an exceptionally short list. It is, oh, it Becky. Is. Yeah, I am. I'm almost yeah. disappointed in you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that will be uh, that will be the end of our consumption. Now, now, Segura, prepare, prepare to defend yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, so Alex's uh, guilty pleasure follow-up to The Godfather 2 uh, is Dick Tracy. Let's go. Big boy Caprice, <laughs> breathless Mahoney, flat top, the DA, prune face, mumbles, lips manless, and the blank are out to get the greatest detective of all time. I'm rubbing him out. I want him dead. Nobody touches Tracy but me. Tracy. 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 You mind if I call you Dick? I was beginning to wonder what a girl had to do to get arrested. Wearing that dress is a step in the right direction. For a tough guy, you do a lot of pansy things. 
Tracy battles mode. Everywhere I turn, Tracy, Tracy, Tracy. You're under arrest. Aren't you gonna frisk me? Hey, copper, maybe you want to look before you leap. When it's time to fight crime, he's your man. Walt Disney Pictures presents Warren Beatty as Dick Tracy. Whose side are you on? And Madonna as Breathless Mahoney. Are you gonna make a move? Do I have to do everything? I'm on duty. Dick Tracy. I'm on my way. From 1990, directed by Warren Beatty, with a running time of an overlong 105 minutes. Uh, in this live-action adaptation of the classic newspaper comic strip, the laconic detective goes up against his most storied enemies in this classic tale of cops versus the mob, presented in possibly the most memorable style this side of Tim Burton. Alex, Dick Tracy, why? I love this movie as a kid. I mean, <laughs> you have to remember, it was, I think Batman, the original Burton Batman came out in 89, so I was about, yep. I was nine, and Dick Tracy came out soon after, and it was basically marketed as the next thing you would watch after batman like if you loved batman and you loved the joker this is batman in overdrive but much more colorful um i have vivid memories of going to see it in the movie i was obsessed with dick tracy i watched the cartoons i read the max allen collins novelization like it just felt like you know, I still think that character is so ripe for adaptation, so ripe oh, for yeah. a great comic book run. And the movie, it's a lot of color, a great, great package, and no story. I think the story is <laughs> severely lacking, and it doesn't hold up on rewatch in terms of, look, if you're looking for narrative mastery, it's not going to be in this movie. It's just right. not there. Uh, there's no, you know, the twist at the end is kind of neat, but also very choreographed. Like, if you didn't know it by then, you you should kind of check yourself. <laughs> um, and uh, I just, uh, the cast is amazing. It's just top to bottom, like A-listers across the board, all chewing the scenery up to varying degrees. Like up, like we were talking about Pacino, uh, you know, evolving from the subtle nuanced uh, Godfather one and two Corleone to the, Oh my God. They keep pulling me back. Oh in Godfather three. <laughs> this is big boy Caprice is that to the next level. Um <laughs> I'm blanking on the order. I think this came out after Godfather 3, if I'm not mistaken. No, before. I would say before, I think. Okay, so he was, I guess, he was was driving up for, uh, you know, that whole scent of a woman, Godfather 3, Big Book Caprice (laughs) era, Pacino. It was just like... um, Second Renaissance Pacino. Yeah. Yeah. If I was the man I was 20 years ago, I'd (laughs) take a flamethrower to this place. Yeah, and even watching it as a kid, I had no idea how great these actors were because I was a kid. But, you know, it's 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 candy. The movie's candy, but it's a lot of fun. Um, it made me love the character, and it made me kind of wonder why, you know, Dick Tracy, aside from the newspaper strips, just didn't become as big in terms of pop culture as something like Batman. Or, yeah. you know, it's it, he kind of falls into this category with the shadow and other pulp heroes like the phantom like i think they're fantastic i think there's a lot of potential there but i I don't think they were actualized in terms of comics or entertainment like i'd I'd watch a dick tracy procedural on tv i think it's ripe for like a netflix show um and you can tell that Beatty just loved the source material this was his vehicle he directed it he wrote it he starred in it and um i think sean young was supposed to be Test Trueheart at one point. Uh, just yeah. like oh, <laughs> the whole story there that I'm. They blanking. started filming with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. They and actually started filming with her, and uh, that that didn't happen. work. That didn't work out. Um, <laughs> I, I just think visually, it's a it's a great 
it's it's great. I think story wise, it just is not. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I had never seen this before. So oh wow, um, I, this was the first view for me. So I was immediately my you know I, I I knew enough about it. I'd seen stills. I'd seen that you know I was big into the movie effects makeup when I was a kid. So yeah. I knew all about the makeup stuff that they had done on everybody. And so I mean, that, crew face is awesome looking for something. All, all like, of the makeups yeah. of all the characters are so like they made such a great point of straying accurate to the look and feel other than big boy of how they were in the comic strips. Like they, I mean, uh, uh, William Forsyth is flat top. like looks like he literally just walked out of the comic strip. I mean, that is exactly. Uh, and so many, like same thing with RG Armstrong is prune face, the same kind of thing. Just, they look like they came right off the page. Um, big boys look is a lot different than he was in the comic strip. Um, and that was due to Al Pacino having his own say in the design of big boys look. Uh, that was his own thing. I, I feel like, and, and at one point Tim Burton was offered this film and turned it down. And, but I feel like they still went ahead and said, but we're going to make a Tim Burton film, even though Tim Burton isn't actually making this film. And I just, I, I felt like if they'd have made a decision at the beginning to either go full camp or stay serious and make it just a real cops and robbers movie. And you can still have the bright colors. You can still have the crazy sets, but they kept trying to do those little tricks that kept you anchored in sort of this quasi two-dimensional three-dimensional world they kept doing these little camera tricks and visual things and i just felt like it kept taking me out of it and i and i just felt like they couldn't make a decision one way or the other to go all in one way or this way and i think that to its detriment they weren't successful overall because it's two half movies that don't quite gel together you know, I don't mind the, the story being simple and straightforward and all that. Like you said, it's fun to watch those actors. And some of them, some of them are only in there. I mean, James Conn shows up for a meeting, yeah. and, you know, and then walks out and gets blown up, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's but it's, you know, it's funny. because I think they, they should have probably if they really wanted it to be a franchise, they should have spread out the villains a little bit. I mean, you have everybody. It's like if you used all of Batman's rogues in Batman. Right. And that's the thing. Beatty said he tried to pack as many of those in as possible because he didn't know if they would ever be successful. So he was just hedging his bets and just put yeah. everybody in. And he, I mean, the four of the guys are sitting at or five of the guys are sitting at a table playing poker in the opening scene and somebody comes in and guns them all down. And you're like, well, all right. Yeah. <laughs> you know it's like you walk in and kill the like you said the, you know, it's like you'd walk in on the rogues gallery and just shoot them all and it's like just right, so that's the, the penguin in the opening scene <laughs> right you know what are you what are you at um another funny connection with this movie um the cinematographer on this film uh vittorio storaro was actually offered godfather 2 and turned it down because he didn't think that godfather 1 could be equaled so I think it's funny that he ends up shooting this movie. Oh, you found the connective tissue. Right. <laughs> He's like, I'll make up for it with this Dick Tracy movie. <laughs> the uh, two other uh, directors, because uh, Warren Beatty didn't want to direct this. He didn't, you know, he was all behind producing and writing, but he did not want to direct it initially. And uh, so John Landis was originally hired 
he was so entrenched in his Twilight Zone defense case that he had to drop out. And then apparently Walter Hill was set to direct this during pre-production. Uh, and he left after disagreements with Warren Beatty in the studio. And then uh, Tim Burton was Tim Burton was offered the chance to direct, but declined it because he was already in production on, on Edward Scissorhands. So he was like, ah, I'm busy. But uh, Latham, how do you feel about Dick Tracy? I love this movie. I had not seen it in a long time, but um, I don't have any of the same problems that have been alluded to here. And he basically took a comic strip and he made a movie into a comic strip almost better than anything I've ever seen. I think the effects hold up great. I think they do all the combinations of live action scenes and matte paintings. I mean, this is pre-digital of pre-Jurassic Park here. This so. is this is one of the last films that used actual matte paintings in the production because they were just on the cusp of moving to digital. Right. And um I, I this may be one of the best movies ever made color wise, lighting wise. I mean, every single shot matters in this movie. There's no throwaways, not even one anywhere in this film. As far as the story being simplistic, I, I mean, it, you're taking it from a simplistic comic strip that had simplistic stories about a, you know, a, a crime fighting police officer or detective that, you know, who solved cases and back when this was originated they weren't that complicated and you know the story isn't anything to write home about but it's you know everyone who acts in this movie is fantastic al pacino is i mean he's way over the top and it's he's you just i just want more of him i wanted him more on screen more for the entire film and for people that say pacino plays the same character a lot i mean this is you know I, I don't, I, this is a little different here. This is playing with a lot of makeup and trying to convey believable emotion in, you know, even though, you know, you're watching a comic strip movie, he's the, he's the main bad guy. And he, you know, every time he's on screen, he's always moving. He's always doing something. His face is doing something. His hands are doing something. And that's, that's that was one of the fun things I noticed. There was watching him in the background, even like the scenes were like he or as he was moving off screen or whatever, he was doing all these weird little mannerisms with his, like you said, with his hands or like something. He had one scene where he in the background with a cigar where he's like trying to wet it, but his mouth, but he keeps putting it in and out of his mouth really fast. There's a lot of really weird little stuff like that. Exactly. To your even point. how he moves his body, that weird gait he has. It's just right. With all the padding and everything stuffed underneath that clothing. Yeah, my daughter watched it with me and she's like, is Al Pacino really that tall? And initially I'm like, yeah, I think he's short. And then I looked him up. He's like, no, actually he's five, seven. He's not a C. He's just stooped in this movie. But like the scene where he's getting the dancers ready for, you know, and he's just, you know, slapping them on their asses and stuff. I mean, it's, it's just, this is a PG movie. Okay. And I always give credit to people that pull off PG movies, you know, well, you know, well enough to where, you know, a kid can watch this. And if you're a kid in 1990 watching this, even though you've seen all the sci-fi movies from the eighties, I mean, I don't see how you can enjoy this. I, I saw this in the theater and, and it, it did, it came out right after Batman and I love Batman and I, uh, and I love this. Um, I mean, a year after Batman, I believe Batman was 89, right? Yeah. 
yep. big yes. It also does, it definitely does push and pull, Steve, like you were saying. Like sometimes it, it's trying to be super Disney and super family friendly. And then, but it opens with this brutal like shooting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's pretty I mean, dark. there's no blood. There's no, there's no blood. There's no bullet holes. There's no violence. It's, he, he basically said, I'm going to take the comic strip, strip and make it into a movie and he and he nailed it he absolutely nailed it and he's great with all his little mannerisms you know he's directing this movie and he's acting in it that's you know that's not easy to do especially where you're you're making sure every frame in this looks correct uh i you know my daughter did not like it she hated it she said this movie sucks (laughs) and i was just you know i thought i was gonna like it less having not seen it in a while, but I, I liked it a lot. I, I, I think it's um, along the same lines of Speed Racer. Um, I've not seen that Lukowskis. yet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just that they, they, in both instances, they took a product. They didn't really expand on it, which if you want to do that, you're taking a chance. If you do it wrong, you're not required to, but you know, some, some franchises that are moving from like book or, magazine or comics or to movie they do that and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't he just said i'm going to take this and put it on screen and make it look absolutely perfect and uh, you know i i'm i'm fine with the uh with the reveal at the end with madonna i didn't i didn't guess it uh when i saw it the first time i knew it obviously this time going in uh the soundtrack is great she's great uh, as far as all the songs she's singing, yeah, um, I heard Steven Sondheim for God's sakes. I mean, yeah, I mean come yeah, come write yeah. some songs for me. <laughs> I mean, I didn't get the reveal as a kid either. I was I was I loved it. Yeah, I did. I didn't guess it. If you're an adult, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I asked Amaya, who's the you know who's the faceless person? She didn't know. <laughs> I um, said Princess Leah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, this is even though it wasn't in the movie, this is where the song Vogue or- originated, right? No, no, no. This is the yeah. error. It was that it's, it's that same error. Yeah, and then that um, because Warren Beatty is in the uh, in Truth the Blind Ambition tour that came out the year later. So she was still dating him. Right. Around so that Vogue time. is not on the soundtrack. No, no. no. Oh, my bad. I thought it was. Uh, but the, the, the error is correct. The time yeah. frame for that album is correct. Right. I think the soundtrack, yeah, came out like right around Vogue time. Uh, yeah, I, but then okay. no one, no one was bigger than Madonna at that yeah. time, and uh, and and Danny Elfman was hired to compose the uh, score for this because Warren Beatty was impressed with his work on Batman, and uh, on on working with Warren Beatty, Danny Elfman has said that Warren is insane. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of funny. Uh, actually, you guys are wrong. Also, uh, for the Dick Tracy soundtrack, I'm breathless. Um, the Madonna album with all the Madonna songs, Vogue is on that soundtrack. It's the last song. But it wasn't written it's for that movie. Album. So I think that it's like originally from the Vogue album. I guess, yeah, we're both right. Breathless is a compilation album, isn't it? It's got no. the new songs from the movie, but then all also- the songs from Dick Tracy music from and inspired by the film Dick Tracy and Vogue is on there. It's not a throwaway. I, I'm almost positive this song was done inspired by the movie. It's I don't think Vogue right, is when, on another Madonna the, album, except the album Vogue. Vogue is a Madonna album. Oh, my bad. 
It's okay. I mean, I think she pulled it from the album which had just come out and put it on the soundtrack mm-hmm. to fill out. That's exactly what she did. Huh. But that's not, I mean, if you're buying a Dick Tracy soundtrack and Vogue wasn't on it, Vogue was a monster hit. Right. So I think it makes Why sense. Why wouldn't you put it on? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, sh- but, uh, so, uh, Lay, you got anything else? Uh, no, except there is no album by Madonna called Vogue, guys. That's not correct. It's absolutely not correct. And I just wanted to confirm by looking on her discography. There is no album by Madonna called Vogue. It was a single. It's from the Dick Tracy soundtrack. Okay. I'm happy to be wrong. Yeah, no, it's she never put out an album called Vogue. Never, never did. Well, Hassan? Uh, um, uh, <laughs> I didn't like the movie when I first saw it when I was a kid. I think I was 15, 15 or 16 when I first saw it. Um, I was a big, uh, huge Batman fan. Of the fan of the movie Batman as well as Batman, the, the, the character in and of itself. And, uh, you know, when I'm you know, 15 years old and you go see a movie um, that follows Batman done with, with a soundtrack done by Danny Elfman. It's like, this movie wants to be Batman so bad. You know? <laughs> this movie sucks. So it wasn't until I was older, uh, I watched it maybe 10 years later. And I'm like, wait a minute. It's a fucking beautiful movie. This is a ridiculously beautiful film, and uh, I got it. I just, I just overlooked all the production uh, value to it. The movie, yeah, I agree with uh, Alex. The movie is that really doesn't have a story. Even, even in watching it again this week for this podcast, um, it was, it's painfully obvious that you know, just, I mean, it's like, hey, just sign the deed to this club. Okay, thanks, and then. You know, we throw you in the ocean. You know, <laughs> covered in cement. Pour you in a box yeah. of cement. Yeah, there's no intricacy to any of it. I'm just, you know, I'm taking over a club. Now I own a club. Now dance, dance. You know, this, this really, it just kind of jumps from, from, uh, from moment to moment. Like the whole montage after Tracy. Like first of all, Dick Tracy is the premier, like number one badass cop in the whole town. He's that cop that everybody gives free meals to and everything. And so, like, he gets framed in the he's, most. He's Tango and Cash. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> wow. That's Latham territory there, Steve. Um, yeah, but <laughs> he, he gets framed in the most rudimentary way. And he's just in jail. Like, he's just cooling his heels in jail during the next montage, of which this film has three solid montages of, you know, uh, of just you know the the passage of time, it's, it is a spectacle that tries to be a movie. It really is made. It's all style over substance. There's nothing really wrong with that because the style is just so fantastic. It's it's really such a it it really is a pretty movie. Um, it even makes the city looks look. I mean, I know it's a lot, but I mean, it makes it makes uh the inner city look just gorgeous. Even that um. The sequence with the at the train yards where the kids living in the junkyard with that awesome. you know with the, yeah it's just gorgeous Jack it's just so Jack. pretty yeah I mean look his dad is terrifying yeah it really <laughs> leans into it it really you reminded, you reminded me it. of Marv from Sin City <laughs> yeah that's yeah, probably where he came from most There's likely a lot of, you know connective stuff with Sin City and even the spirit like the 
you know, Miller's The Spirit is a similar attempt to reimagine a pulp comic strip hero with a very visually evocative style. It's obviously not, I, I don't think it was as success, successful as Dick Tracy, but it's in the same family, I guess. Yeah. I think, I think the problem with uh, Dick Tracy and, and the spirit and even the phantom, um, uh, the shadow, excuse me, um, as we, as we go uh, into like why some of these characters weren't as big as uh, didn't become as big as uh, some other, kind of, I think they were too human. You know, even the shadow who isn't essentially human at all. But I mean, um, (laughs) I think they're, they look to, they're, 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 um, they're too much into the aesthetic of the time, you know, with the hat and the, and the coat, um, and the, you know, the, the, the spirit with the, with his suspenders and the, the shadow with his, you know, he's got the two, the two, you know, nineteen the the nickel plated nineteen elevens and the and the the scarf or whatever. He's he's got a supernatural aspect to him, but he just could be a bandit. You know, he could. So, like, if you, uh, you compare that to a guy dressed like a bat, you know, that's probably going to capture a lot of imagination more to to children more than a guy dressed up like you know buttons McBoom Boom. So, um, I think that might be, but who knows? I don't know. I don't know why uh, this didn't catch on. Yeah, yeah. Just think about it in terms of like IP. Like the Batman can be Batman can be this gritty like adult movie, but it can also be a Lego movie or a cartoon. Right. Whereas right. You remember, I could never see the Shadow as like Lego Shadow. I'm sure. Yeah. Good, but you know, and all those crazy. jokes that Dick Tracy would do, like saying a, a Lego movie, would be over the top of a kid. You can make a lot of jokes about it, but there would be a lot of period jokes and yeah. a, a lot of uh, you know a, a lot of things that were. Uh, indicative of the the era that that you know or the or the lifestyle or prohibition and stuff like that a lot of people a lot of kids wouldn't get it so it doesn't trend whereas like whereas a goofy looking lego of a of batman is a joke that any kid can can follow even if they don't even understand some of the material that's being used so i that that might be one of the reasons why uh these characters didn't explode like uh like some of these other characters i didn't know anything about dick Tracy other than he had a he had awesome wristwatch from when I was a kid. You know, I didn't really know anything about uh, Dick Tracy uh, w- when I saw the film. Uh, you know, I, it was a it was a great experience seeing the film, but I just didn't I didn't think it was tight. I didn't think it came together. It wasn't uh, it wasn't Batman. And the, I think its main problem was it was try- it was marketed to be like you said, like the next Batman, and it just it really just wasn't. It was a spectacle. It was just like, look, if you kind of if you like Dick Tracy. If we we have this um, we have this property that's at our disposal, we've got Warren Beatty, you know. If you if you have any appreciation of Dick Tracy, great. But if you don't, just come to look at it for the for the you know for the yeah. for the colors and the glitz and the, the fact that it's a you know an old fashioned crime story done in a in a newfangled way, and uh, you know let's let's attach it to all this this new hysteria, this new comic book uh, movie hysteria. Uh, I I like it. I don't know if I figured out that that was the the twist at the end that I think we've avoided saying. Um, I said it. Yeah. Oh, said okay it. then. Yeah. Well, all right. I'm just trying to be conscientious about. I I, I I think I might have figured it out a second before she got shot. I think just because of the way she said. Uh, she she talked to him about like she gave him the Darth Vader speech and we could run this town and and even he was like. 
why would you want to run this town with me? You know, that's, yeah. Yeah. that's a little intimate, you know? So then she, she gets blown away and it's like, oh, never well, met. <laughs> um, I don't think Madonna's ever looked better. Yeah. You know, I mean, she looks amazing in this film and that's me watching it just, just this week. Like, you know, that she's really, a uh, an amazing looking woman. Um, she was very dolled up, but she, you know, she fits the, she fit the era really well. Um, and I, one of the things that did surprise me because I remember watching all the, the material, the, the, you know, the first look materials of the day when the, movie, the film was coming out. And we did know that a lot of people were in it. We did know that uh, James Caan was in it for, you know, because they showed that clip of him at the, you know, the, the quintessential, you know, uh, sit down that they have in every one of these movies about the one guy coming to take over. And then the one guy doesn't want to be part of it. And that guy gets assassinated in front of everybody. It's been done. (laughs) The Joker scene. And yes, it's been done a billion times. It's been done a billion times. Um, It it, it was done in dark night. It was also done in Batman. Yeah. And this guy, he shook that guy's hand and the guy turned into a corpse right in front of, you know, I mean, it's been done a billion (laughs) times. It's been, but it's just, it's fine. But I remember going to the film and being astonished at the fact that Al Pacino wasn't a cameo. He's the villain of the whole film. Like he's in the whole film. They, they really sold Al Pacino and everybody else as, as these, these homages to, you know, these old gangster movies in that they would feature in it, but no, Al Pacino, he pretty much stole the movie. He's the big bad. Uh, Yeah. But he didn't, they didn't, I remember the materials didn't sell him as the big bad. In the it, you know before going to see the film, you you kind of that's one of the things you discover while watching it that he is the main bad guy, um, which actually you know I I loved him in the film even as a kid even when I was fifteen I thought he was fantastic. I think the film is really pretty. It's it, it's a great film. It is it is a, it is a masterwork of a visual art, um, and Warren Beatty. That's amazing that he directed it. And the fact that he didn't want to direct it, he managed to do something that's, I think it's a solid film, you know? Um, and like, you know, like, uh, like Steve said, uh, Forsyth at, at Flat Top is like, and, and, uh, and Mumbles, or what's his name? Uh, uh, Dustin, Dustin Hoffman, Hoffman and Mumbles. Yeah. It was right out of the, just right, popped and right out of the pages. Uh, and and I did, face, I did the... like that where he had recorded him and he, and he grabs the wire. Yeah. He's like slowing it down, slowing it down. <laughs> yeah, Big sorry. boy did it. Big boy did it. Yeah. <laughs> and he starts crying. <laughs> and then he just talks normal. And he's yeah. just like, all right, you can go over here. Again. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, look, um, it's a, it's it's uh it's up to you it's a dime or a, i forgot the the phrase to it but um it's anyone's uh guess as to whether or not uh sean young would have been as good as glenn headley because glenn headley was fine in the oh, film she was i think she, yeah she looks she's gorgeous in that yeah. in that film and so i think sean young would have clashed with madonna a little more i think glenn headley sold the completely other kind of woman you know i think i think sean young's got too much of what madonna you know had in that film <laughs> his name is tess Trueheart. <laughs> yeah <laughs> right but yeah. I, but sean young is very vampy you know yeah. she would have it would have been you know so she i don't i think those two would have would have uh would have kind of clashed whereas there, she is a she is a very clear contrast to to breathless you know 
Yeah. Um, so it, 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 it displays the two choices that Tracy has, even though really wasn't that much of a choice for Tracy. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, and she doesn't get a, enough credit for that, for that, uh, for her role in that film, I think. Um, so yeah, great, great movie. Um, not a, not a fantastic story, but it was a good movie. Really, uh, wonderful spectacle. I think. I don't know if I would ever wear a giant yellow raincoat and a and a, a fedora, <laughs> a giant yellow raincoat and a fedora to work. But you the know, police, the dark city. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. I was gonna know where you are. Yeah. <laughs> like, aren't you a target in that neon yeah. fucking jacket that you're wearing right there? <laughs> like, he always had that pitch black face. suit underneath it too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here I am. Here's my chest. Uh, but it it does. Who cares? It's, it looked it looked go. beautiful. So Warren Beatty has confirmed that there is a two hour and fifteen minute version of this film somewhere. Wow! And he even he doesn't know where it is. Yeah, <laughs> but he says that a two hundred a two hour and fifteen minute cut does exist. Um, Didn't he, he do like a quick video where he was wearing the costume again just to retain the rights? Or oh, I have no idea. That's yeah. funny. Yeah, there's there was something like that. Yeah, he uh, Gene Hackman turned down the role of Lips Manless because uh, he couldn't bear to be directed by Warren Beatty again after his experience on Reds. <laughs> <laughs> wow! And and Macaulay Culkin was considered for the role of the kid, but turned it down so he could make Home Alone. <laughs> Good choice. Good choice, I guess. Good choice for him. Corsmo is a little raw. Like he yeah. was, you know, I think Macaulay would have would have I mean he 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 gets into it towards the you get used to the kid towards the towards the end of the film. Yeah. But he is a little like a little over the top while yeah. you're watching him in the beginning. Yeah, but you know what? I, I I think that again, that's part of that was one of the things parts they were leaning into it being like a serious part of the film was about that kid and like where he came from and yeah. the, 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 the relationship between him and Dick Tracy before they, you know, turned around and gave him his junior detective badge and all that. And he became like <laughs> his little, his little I found it really annoying as a kid watching the movie, especially that scene where he's like scarfing the food in the diner. I was like, yeah, hey, good stuff. You like, did it. You did <laughs> You get two funny. movies of that though, because then you got the Bruno Kirby scene in in uh, the Godfather too, where he's yeah right, he's just <laughs> a mouthful of spaghetti while he's <laughs> and he's talking and he's pointing the forkful of spaghetti at him as he's speaking, yeah, and that like, was driving me crazy. I'm like, would you swallow? Would you stop? <laughs> stop your food. Talking with your jowls swollen like that, Dude, Jesus Christ! <laughs> but that's a pet peeve. That's a but, pet uh, peeve. yeah. So uh, <laughs> that was Dick Tracy. Oh, I can get my cursor over here to the fucking stop button. Vogue was originally intended to be a B-side for Keep It Together. Keep it together. Uh, the, the, the final single for Like a Player. Uh, but after it was a completed uh, track and, and presented to Warner Brothers, the executives all and all parties involved decided Vogue should be released as a single, which is why the album was called Vogue. It was a single release called Vogue. Uh, although, so, although the song itself had nothing to do with Dick Tracy, it was included in the album on Breathless, which contained uh, songs uh, that were inspired from the film. Madonna had altered some of the uh, <laughs> suggestive lyrics uh, because the song was connected to a Disney film 
uh, via soundtrack. So that's the story for folk. Uh, thanks to Fesley and Music. Please check out our website at cinementalpod.com for all of our past episodes. And don't forget to download, subscribe to Cinemental wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can always enjoy, you can always listen to new episodes at cinementalpod.com. Please, I, I mean, I hope you enjoy them. Also, you can follow us on all major social media accounts at cinementalpod. For Asan Godwin, Latham Conger III, Alex Segura Jr., and myself, we say thank you so much for listening. And as always, in the words of our friend and Technicolor detective, Truman Burbank. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Good night. That's a good one. Mm. That's a good one. That one's going to work right there, young man. Big boy did it. Big boy did it. Big boy did it. Oh, that's a good one. All right. <laughs>